Welcome back, movie fans, to Real Old Reels again with Robin and Lisa. This is week one of our classic spooky films, and we're starting with a not very spooky one. Yeah, this one's a really funny one. Um, it's Frank Capra's Arsenic and Old Lace, starring Cary Grant. And you probably have already seen it. It's a very popular one, but it's such a good Halloween one. It even takes place on Halloween. So forgive us for picking another Frank Capra film only just a few weeks after we did. You can't take it with you, but it's just too perfect. And we really actually it's probably one that I watch almost every year around this time because it's just so ridiculous and fun. So we enjoy it at my house. Yeah, it can be really hard to find spooky Halloween movies that are age appropriate for younger kids. But my kids really like it, too. Um, it has just amount or the right amount of spooky and silly and with without it being too scary, you never see anything gross. And there is only really one one slight jump scene that actually does get me every time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and of course, it's always fun to watch Cary Grant. But it's not your average Cary Grant movie, though. It's in, in fact, because of him being in it, it actually can be a divisive movie for some people. He doesn't come off as his normal, suave, unaffected gentleman character. Yeah, it's it's not your typical Cary Grant role. And there's a reason you don't always see him acting similar to how he acts in this movie, actually. Apparently, he hated his portrayal of Mortimer Brewster and felt like he was overacting the whole time. At the time, maybe it was a bit much because maybe they weren't used to people like Jim Carrey, who are kind of the classic over actors but for all of us who lived through the Jim Carrey heyday it doesn't seem like a whole lot of overacting it doesn't seem like too much yeah it's just fun and silly all that aside it is on American Film Institute's 2000 list of top 100 funniest American movies so let's talk about what this movie's all about some of the things you learned today might actually surprise you and I'm really excited about the trivia we have for this movie yeah, but before that, I'll, I'll just give a quick synopsis of the movie. Um, so Arsenic and Old Lace is about a play critic, Mortimer Brewster, who is a self-proclaimed bachelor and actually has written a book about the downfalls of marriage as an institution. In the opening scene, though, we see him getting a marriage license to marry Elaine. She's a woman who lived across the street from his aunts who raised him growing up. After they get married, she heads home to tell her father and Mortimer goes to tell his aunts before they head off for their honeymoon. While he's there, he happens upon a dead body in a window seat and through questioning, he finds out that his aunts have been poisoning and killing lonely old men for some time and have up to 12 now buried in the basement. (laughs) (laughs) And um, we're introduced to a few other characters. His cousin, who thinks he's Teddy Roosevelt, and his brother, Jonathan, who's also committed his fair share of murders as well. I think at one point, he and the ants are comparing numbers of how many they've killed. And um, Jonathan, as he's visiting, learns about the graveyard in the, in the cellar and wants to stick one of his dead bodies in there as well because it's the perfect hiding place. But his aunts, Abby and Martha, hate this idea because the dead body is a stranger and all of their men are nice gentlemen. You know about what's down there? 
Of course we do. And he's no friend of Mortimer's. He's one of our gentlemen. Your gentlemen? Yes. And we won't have any strangers buried in our cellar. But Mr. Hoskins... Mr. Hoskins is no stranger. Besides, there's no room for Mr. Spinalzo. The cellar's crowded already. Crowded with what? There are 12 graves down there now. Eventually, Mortimer is able to take the attention off his aunts and get Jonathan arrested. He also tries to institutionalize his cousin, who thinks he's Teddy Roosevelt. The aunts declare they don't want him to go unless they go too, which ties up the ends quite nicely and takes care of the murderous aunts. <laughs> Mortimer says he can't marry Elaine because insanity doesn't just run in his family at gallops. Um, so he doesn't want to pass on any insanity genes to their eventual children. But at this point, the aunts break the news to him that he actually isn't related to them, but was the son of their cook who died. And his father was a chef on a steamship. And with all of his problems now solved, he sweeps Elaine off to go on their honeymoon and they live happily ever after. Yes, such a bonkers film. And Capra... Frank Capra decided to take on the play as a way to make a cheap film on a quick buck to keep his family going. And that's those were his words while he joined the army. So it was right before World War II. And it was a quick film. And it, it took only about four weeks in the making. It has really only a handful of sets, but mostly just the one with comparatively hands off directing. He just let the actors improvise and go with the scene. In particular, the scene where Dr. Einstein the criminal plastic surgeon sidekick tells Jonathan how beautifully he's going to reconstruct his face. And this is kind of a <laughs> funny little tidbit. Um, but Peter Laurie is improvising and Capra kept the camera rolling for several minutes, but we only get a few seconds in the film. I'd really like to see that deleted footage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can tell that this this movie was really made for the stage because they really are in that one main room for like 90% of the movie. Yeah, it is in the play. I think it is only the one set. Um, Arsenic and Olace was based on a very popular play, like you said, by a guy named Joseph Kesselring. And it was performed first on Broadway and then London's West End and was extremely successful. And critics lauded how hilarious it was. It was by far Kesselring's most successful play. He had some interesting inspiration for Arsenic and Olace, as you mentioned, Lisa. Uh, yeah, this screenplay actually has a little bit of background of true crime for its inspiration. And I love me some true crime. So one of the sources of inspiration for this story, there was actually two sources, but one of them was a serial killer named Amy Archer Gilligan, who had a killing spree possibly from the years of 1907 to 1917. So before serial killers was even a term, she ran the nursing home. And there were 60 deaths between these years, which might not seem like all that out of place at a nursing home, which is how she got away with it for so long. But it was enough to draw attention. And in fact, 48 of those deaths were from residents between the years 1911 and 1916. So 48 deaths in five years. She had two husbands that died. The first was apparently of natural causes. Though she had suspiciously taken out a life insurance policy on him just weeks before his death. Hmm. The, second, <laughs> yeah, 
the second husband died shortly after they were married. I think it was um, just a couple months after they were married. And um, he left her all of his money in a will. But come to find out later that the will was written in her handwriting. Yikes. (laughs) (laughs) And um, finally, family members of one of the deceased residents of the nursing home um, found some suspicious things in letters that resident had between Archer Gilligan, where she was pressing him for money. And as investigators looked into it, she actually had been pressuring many of the residents for money before they died. The investigators exhumed that man's body and her late husband's and then three others. And they found that they were all poisoned by arsenic. She was only charged with five deaths, but is most likely responsible for a lot more. Although we don't know how many. So although the method of of her killings were the same and the age demographic of her victims were the same as the people in the movie, her motives were much different from the nice old Brewster sisters in Arsenic and Old Lace. True. They were very sweet. Is Brooklyn your home? I haven't got a home. Live in a hotel. Don't like it. Uh, are your family Brooklyn people? Hello, have you? I haven't got any family. What opera? All alone in the world. Yep. No, no. no. Well, ma. Oh, Happy Dale, yes. Well, you've come to just the right house. Do sit down. Dale. And then there was another case that was similar to Arsenic and Old Lace, but it wasn't the inspiration for the actual screenplay. Someone had quoted that it was similar to the actual screenplay of it. But it was um, the Black Widow murders were two serial killers in California They took in two homeless men with a promise to help them financially and get some welfare for them. They ultimately got their personal information, like social security numbers and birth dates, with the guise of of getting some welfare for these men. And that allowed them to take out millions of dollars worth of insurance policies on these men right before they staged their deaths. There (laughs) There was even a third homeless man who testified that they tried to do the same thing to him, but he actually got suspicious when they were asking for his personal information and he left. Crazy. So (laughs) Joseph Kesselring, it's interesting that he went down this dark subject matter because he was a professor at a Mennonite college and he wasn't a Mennonite himself, but he had some pacifist values. But it, it did say he stayed at a boarding house during his time at the college before he became a playwright. Some of that is served as inspiration for Arsenic and Old Lace as well. And this play actually started out as being a serious play because he had, as we'll get into, sort of a message that he wanted to convey. But an associate of his suggested that he make it funny. And that had some very inspired results. The original cast was phenomenal. There's a running Boris Karloff joke throughout the movie and that is referencing Boris Karloff's role as Frankenstein. However, <laughs> it's doubly funny in the actual play because Boris Karloff played the role of Jonathan, the long-absent psychotic brother. And some of the members of the cast on the play were able to go to the movie, but they guarded their success with Karloff as the antagonist and wouldn't let him out of his contract to do the film, unlike the ants who were on the Broadway play. And they were also in Capra's film adaptation. It was really disappointing for Karloff, who enjoyed the role, 
and the self-effacing running gag. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, what a bummer to see that role that you've played for years and years being played by somebody else. That would be hard. (laughs) Yeah. And he didn't have a choice. It was, it's too bad. And I wonder what it would have been like. It is such an over the top comedy and that the message can be overlooked. I have seen this movie so many times and didn't make any of the connections that I found out about for the podcast. But Kessel Ring uses arsenic and old lace as a metaphor of America's dark history. He talks about coming to terms with its ideals and liberty with its violent past. The script keeps alluding to American history throughout the whole thing. The opening scene literally says that it stinks with atmosphere. And the actor said George Washington probably slept in that neighborhood. The ants from pure Mayflower stock are kind and generous to absolutely everyone, but they have a dark secret. And they also become indignant when their nephew interferes because they let him do whatever he likes to do. So why shouldn't they? Yeah. Ted has killed a man, darlings. <laughs> Nonsense. But there's a body in the window seat. Yes, dear. We know. You know? Of course. Yes, but it has nothing to do with Teddy. But but, but the thing... Now, Mortimer, you just forget about it. Forget you ever saw the gentleman. Forget? We never dreamed you'd peek. There's the historical cemetery and the presidential references and even Mortimer committing his relatives to an institution all hint at the confluence of American idealism and criminal actions that are buried in the cellar, as it were. (laughs) (laughs) Even the actor Raymond Massey, who plays Jonathan, the crazy brother, he was his earlier role was playing Abraham Lincoln. And that's another great example of this contradiction that this play talks about. On one hand, Abraham Lincoln obviously is one of America's favorite top presidents. He abolished slavery and he preserved the union. But on the other hand, he expanded federal government powers, instituted federal tax and the draft. And he's definitely no hero to the Native American population. And Teddy Roosevelt is the same. He's known for being a hero in some ways and a villain in others. So it's interesting that these American contradictions keep popping up. There are a few other differences from the play that Capra's team rewrote. In the play, Mortimer and Elaine aren't married. They're just about to go to a play. And also at the end, it's interesting that Elaine conveniently forgets about the corpses when she is kissed by Mortimer. And that was a detail rewritten for the film. Elaine in the play never actually discovers the bodies, which is interesting. The original play actually has the ants killing Witherspoon, the character Witherspoon. Whereas the movie, it ends with everybody kind of happy in whatever situation. The ants going to the institution and Mortimer running off and finding out he's not really a Brewster. So his ending's more hopeful. I don't know. You can think about the two different endings and the two personalities because perhaps Kessel Ring ending his play with this grim idea that shady things will continue to happen despite what we know about them. But Capra releasing Mortimer of his morally questionable heritage and giving him the freedom to pursue happiness is a much more hopeful thing and kind of says what he personally thinks about America's grim history is like, maybe you just got to move on and live your life the best you can. Yeah. All this gets even more personal 
to Capra as Arsenic and Lace was filmed just prior to World War II. So Capra was sending a message to Americans, perhaps, that focusing on the future is necessary to win a war. I'm I'm sure that the the American public needed something a little bit more hopeful than scary at the time. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's easy to say, oh, Capra was just trying to make everyone conform and be the same and not worry about things that were important about our past. But really, right on the edge of World War II, it's, you know, people do have different priorities. People are hoping for a certain outcome and getting divisive about things in the past probably just made no sense for what was about to happen. And I think that makes it interesting that they included a Dr. Einstein character in the film because Einstein fled Nazi Germany right before World War II. And it's interesting that the character Dr. Einstein in the in the movie begins as an accessory to Jonathan's evil scheming, but ultimately is forgotten in the chaos and goes free. So I <laughs> don't you think that there's probably a lot of layers to this play or just little details that are tied into the overall message that are just easy to miss. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because I missed a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, even how the ants will talk about, Oh, he's a foreigner. And anyway, well, I, I thought one thing was kind of interesting and it's not like, I don't know. It's not super deep or anything, but like the ants were kind of the matchmakers for Elaine and Mortimer. And so they really are on this crusade to to kill all the lonely bachelors out there. And and with all the older men, they actually killed them. And then with Mortimer, they like threw a, a woman into his path and and made him not a bachelor as well. <laughs> that is interesting. That's like a whole other avenue of the play is why they have a thing against lonely old men or not really a thing against them, but they're trying to put them out of their misery, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I noticed a funny detail this time that I've never seen or never noticed watching it before. And that was when um, they have Mortimer all tied up and they're about to uh, torture him. And um, Dr. Einstein preps beforehand like really quickly then they're about to do it he like sees a picture of water and he dunks his hands in like he's trying to like clean his hands beforehand <laughs> yeah <laughs> just a little detail i thought was funny especially since you know these actors are are doing things just really quickly spontaneously it's a funny little detail that they added in yeah that is funny this film stands out as being out of character for actually both capra and grant because capra did a totally different type of film with this. It was quick and it was cheap and he was pretty off hands in his directing and Cary Grant, as we discussed, it was pretty wild for him, but the result is just darkly delightful. It's a movie I keep coming back to and I like kooky Cary Grant. I can't, <laughs> I can't help it. He is his exaggerated acting at all. It's too funny. And Priscilla Lane as Lane is perfect. And Peter Laurie is fantastic. Actually, I saw a film of his before he left Germany because I believe he fled Germany right before World War II as well and he plays actually scary characters in his films and yeah. in the United States he went to comedy for the most part 
even when his he's playing a sinister character, it's usually someone who's a little bit funny. And the ants, oh man, they're absolutely brilliant. They just crack yeah. me up so every time. They crack me up. Yeah, even the way that Aunt Abby walks is just like yes. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> so thanks for joining us for Real Old Reels again, our take on Arsenic and Old Lace this week. It was such a fun film, a little spooky, intense at times, but great really for the whole family. Mostly it's just funny, but who knew? It's also pretty deep as well. So please come back mm-hmm. next week to discuss our second, our second film, in our classic spooky film series, we're taking the scary factor up just a little bit and watching a classic monster movie. And you'll have to tune in next week to hear what that is. Yeah, this one scared me a lot as a kid. I still remember being very scared of this one. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think it's going to be quite as scary this time around. Yeah, yeah. I think it'll hit different this time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We hope you're learning some interesting trivia and that, and that we're telling you some things that you didn't know. And if you're enjoying it, please don't forget to subscribe, follow, like, and review if you get a chance. And again, we would love to interact with you if you have some things to say about the films and if you even have suggestions. This month, we're going to be do, doing some spooky ones, but please let us know if you'd like to, us to do another film. Yeah, and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Thanks.